have never done this before. And so they want it to be a certain way. And the truth is, is that it's way harder than they ever expected. So whether the multiple is three times or four times, it's going to cost more than you think it is, no matter what number you put down on a piece of paper. And it's going to take longer and you're going to have unanticipated problems that you, no matter how hard you try to anticipate them, you will not get them. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Running a business is hard, but changing business at each inflection point could be harder. You need changes in people process, and technology to enable the growth at each inflection point. But the hardest change management project that any organization can ever undertake is the ERP implementation. As the ERP implementation touches every discipline possible in the entire company, and regardless of how many times you have done it, you will still get surprises. But the more implementations you have under your belt, the easier the process becomes. In today's episode, our guest, Buddy Blattner, discusses how CFOs can be successful with an ERP implementation. He also discusses how to plan for operational capacity during a growth inflection point, including an ERP implementation. Finally, he discusses several stories related to ERP rescues and the lessons learned from each of these stories. Let me introduce Buddy to you. Buddy started consulting full-time in April 2018 after 37 years working in sales, strategic planning, product management, CFO, COO, CEO, and CEO or entrepreneur. While Buddy has spent most of his career in COO and CEO roles, he considers his profession to be Chief Financial Officer. Buddy's company experience size has ranged from startups to more than $250 million in sales. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Buddy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to talk. Yeah, this is going to be so much fun because obviously the kind of life that you have lived in the ERP world, I know that you don't like to live that anymore, but obviously there are going to be a lot of lessons learned for our audience. Just to kick things off, if people don't know you, do you want to start with your personal story as well as your current focus, buddy? I'll do the best I can to keep it short. Um, so in the last 40 years, I've had direct sales jobs. I was head of corporate strategic planning for Pacific Telephone. I wrote their first two business plans in the early 80s. Um, I pivoted to manufacturing and for 13 years, 
I made small rolls for business machines. We took big rolls of paper and cut them into little rolls of paper. That business quadrupled in size while I was there. Oh, wow. uh, I went from 150 employees to over 700 employees. Um, I went out on my own after that and uh, joined a company that made the Arctic Zone brand of lunchboxes and coolers. And I took care of the business side. We tripled the size of that business in two years. We sold it to oh, wow. a private equity firm who combined us with two other portfolio companies of theirs, about a $250 million a year in sales um, enterprise. Um, after four years doing that, um, I was lucky enough to get involved in a company that I ultimately owned that uh, bought small parts overseas, brought them to the U.S. and sold them to large OEMs. Um, so that was my own company, and I had that until five years ago. And now I've been consulting for that time with small and medium-sized businesses in manufacturing, distribution, construction, and services. That is so awesome. And I think there are going to be a lot of different stories. And personally, what I am really interested in knowing that formula of growth that you have figured out, I guess, by now, um, you know, after seeing so much, and I don't know, you know what your belief is going to be overall, what works, what does not work. So we'll do a deep dive into that. Before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest. In your case, it's almost funny, to be honest, to ask this question, because that's what you have been doing. But we ask, okay, what is your perspective on business growth? I learned a long time ago, if you don't grow the business, you don't have a business that will be a good yeah. long-term business. And what happens a lot of times is that a company gets growing quickly because their entrepreneur has um, a really good sense of what the market is, or they've developed a good product or whatever. Um, my personal experience is never put the brakes on no matter what's happening. Because once you put yeah. the brakes on, it's really, really hard to to get that revved up feeling that you have. Yeah, yeah. Could not agree more. I think uh, that's a great perspective. And I am going to be sharing some stories from my perspective based on what I see. And I don't know if you share the same perspective or not. I would love to hear your insights on it. Especially when you talk about manufacturer distributor and obviously you have spent a ton of time. Okay, I talk to my friends and they're like, you know what? I am not accepting any more business. And I'm like, what? <laughs> In their case, they are not accepting any sort of new sales because they don't want. And I'm like, that's crazy because most businesses, as far as I know, <laughs> you know, they want as much growth as possible. That's the foundation of any business, right? So typically in my mind, either they are too afraid of running too fast because they don't have confidence on their operational processes, the way they are set up. And that's probably the reason why they are claiming that they don't want growth. Some people that we have interviewed, and obviously they had very similar background as you, they like to call this as more of the inflection points. And we'll be touching on that as well overall from the growth journey. So when you look at the first inflection point, uh, these guys like to define this as more of the lifestyle business. I don't know if you have heard of that term before, but that's going to be, you know, really entrepreneur run businesses. Uh, typically, this problem happens in that space. Once it is run by a savvy CFO, obviously, or a private equity, then it's a different volume. <laughs> so typically in that lifestyle business, I see this problem. So again, going back to, uh, you know, the comment about the whole growth thing, but then you have this mindset from these owners. So let's say if you were to review these businesses, I don't know if you're going to have any sort of advice for them, insight in terms of are they doing the right thing, not doing the right thing. So tell me what your perspective is overall in this commentary. So um, there's a lot to unpack there, but I will yeah, um, yeah. I will basically say um, there's a part of me that says you have to be like a shark. If a shark stops moving, <laughs> it, yeah. it dies. And yep. I think businesses I are that way. 
the problem that you have, especially with lifestyle businesses, um, yeah. is that most of the times the entrepreneur has figured out how to make a living, a nice living yeah. for his family yeah. and his friends and maybe some key employees. And that's good enough, right? He gets to play golf twice a week. He gets to yep. go to whatever restaurant he wants to. They go on two-week vacations. They take their kids skiing, whatever it is. And that seems to be okay. There's a place for that. Also, business is hard, right? Let's not, I mean, let's say that, that I think I'm good at it. It's still even hard for me. And so yep. when business is hard and then you layer on the kind of change that's required to make a business grow, hiring new yep. people, adding new departments, doing things you don't understand, doing things that you're scared of. Yep. Those are not easy things to do. And um, that's why I call them hard, but you have to do the hard things. And honestly, the older I get and the more experienced I get, I look back at some of the things that I did in my 20s and my 30s and I say, I'd never do that now. Yeah. You get, you, and, and you get risk averse. The more, you know, the more success you have, sometimes yep. people get even more risk averse. Yeah, so we are actually going to go back and talk about those mistakes, to be honest. I mean, they are the best learning lessons for anybody, right? So maybe I don't know if you're going to have any sort of stories and maybe talk about the growth stories of these companies. I know that you had successful results, but there must be some sort of, you know, twists and turns along the way, right? Say if you were to go back and pick a couple of stories, what you would do differently overall from the growth perspective of those companies? My, my favorite growth story is my, the second company I worked for after Pacific, or first company I worked for after Pacific Telephone was a company called Rittenhouse Paper Company, where my dad and his partner were the principals. And they had grown the business together from $6 million to $30 million when I joined the company. Um, yeah. They had bought it in a leveraged buyout, but they knew that yeah. they had a growth engine that was fantastic. And I had been the CFO for about a year when we were doing about yep. $60 million a year. And my dad called me and he goes, get ready. We're going to do $100 million now. And I said, okay. I was the CFO. I said, I was the yep. CFO, but also sort of like the sort of assistant COO. So I sort yep. of said, okay, well, we're going to need an HR manager, a logistics yep. manager, an inventory manager, a controller for this division, et cetera. I'm going to need about $300,000 to hire people. Because <laughs> I knew what that yeah. entailed, right? You can't just make yeah. more paper rolls yeah. and ship them. You need to think about all the things that go through it. And so I was the planner yeah. guy. So we created job descriptions. We hired people. We put them in place. And at the end of the year, we didn't exactly hit 100 million. Maybe we should hit 90. Yeah. So we went from 65 yeah. to 90, not 65 to 100. And That's my dad called me. and It's still not bad, but he called me and he yeah. said, we're overstaffed. And I said, the forecast said 100 million. I prepared for 100 million. So, exactly. so the, the point that I'm making is that, you know, the job of the implementers, the, the job of the entrepreneurs is to set the target. The job yeah. of the implementers is to do whatever they can to make the target. I was not yet the sales guy. I was the operating yep. guy. And so I did all the things that operating guys do. The problem is, is that we spent, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars more than we would yep. have if we would have done 90 million. And that comes right out of your pocket. And the learning experience for me was you have to, sometimes you have to be aggressive going forward. And sometimes yeah. you have to pull that aggression back a little bit as the CFO yeah. and say, maybe we're not going to make it. And if we don't, what's the risk? And I didn't calculate yeah. any of that. I just said, I'm, he says a hundred, I'm building for a hundred. <laughs> when an entrepreneur tells me we're going to go up 25% next year, my internal, my internal gut tells me, Let's build the plan for 20. Exactly. So that's, exactly. that's, that's my favorite growth story. 
Yeah, so very interesting. And obviously, I need to do a lot of unpacking there, okay? And obviously, you can probably talk about the other stories as well if you have anything where you were slightly more conservative. Sure. And I completely agree, to be honest. I'm, you know, I'm a, an entrepreneur myself. And I would never plan this way because, you know, there's one thing that is never going to be guaranteed is sales, okay? In fact, you might be at 60, you might go to 40, who knows? Uh, you know, and if you are going to be spending the way a $100 million company is spending, you know, it could fire back pretty bad, to be honest. In your case, you probably got lucky by investing so much. Um, it's very, 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 very hard to forecast that growth. So overall, let's say if you were to provide some more colors there in terms of the detailed planning, what should these entrepreneurs be looking at when they are trying their own growth stories? And I hear this on a daily basis, okay? Even my competitors, they are saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to do 5X in the next five. And I'm like, you don't even make a single cold call in your day, okay? You have no way of building your pipeline. How are you going to do 5X, right? Because you don't have a predictable pipeline. You are not putting enough effort um, to be able to get there. This is just a dream or a wish. So let's say if you were to sort of create the structured plan from the sales perspective, number one, I mean, that's always going to be the driver, right? Then operations, sure, you can figure it out, uh, you know, but obviously sales is going to be a big deal. So overall, how would you plan this? I mean, are you going to simply pick a percentage and then sort of plan the sales as well as this? Or are you going to look at each and every account and going to look at the confidence, okay, how this is going to work? And finally, figure out the operational plan from there. How would you approach this? So um, I always use some version of an end of the year planning tool. So yeah. the first yeah. step is to is to figure out what you're going to end this year at, right? So let's yeah. say that you start your planning process in October. Um, you know what your results are through September, and you have to then estimate October, November, and December to get a year-end number because you cannot exactly. create anything going forward until you have an idea of how you're going to finish. So exactly. first thing you do is create a year-end forecast. And that, from a CFO perspective, that means creating a pro forma income statement and a pro forma yeah. balance sheet. Yeah. Um, then the next step, if I were the CFO or the COO of, uh, of a, let's say a privately held company, right? I would say, okay, let's make a sales budget. And you yep. can do it a bunch of different ways, depending on what kind of business you're in. So yep, yep. in some businesses, you don't have the same clients over and over. So if you're an yeah. uh, electrical contracting company and you yep. are doing the blank hotel, right? Yeah. You're going to build the hotel once. Yeah, for that yep, general yep, contractor, right? So that your general yep. contractor, you may do five projects for that general contractor, but they're not yep. repeatable. So you have to you have to look at each company individually and say, how do I figure out how that company is going to grow? So the company right. says we did 20 million this year, we want to do 25 next year. Yeah. The spread's five. But of that yep. 20, you have to recreate exactly. all 20 million every time. Yeah. So in the services business, you might need new clients. Um, in yep. the services business, you might have recurring revenue that you know. Yeah. You have to yeah. bottoms up in almost every case, each one. So yep. in one of, in the company that I owned, we were able, because we had basically the same product being sold over and over and over again, we'd look at the yep. product life cycle of the products we were selling, the customers that were buying them, and we forecasted by product by customer for our yep. key accounts. Yep. And that would be the way we would come up with our sales forecast. And to to go back to your point about growth, not to interrupt this, but yep. um, in 2008, I had a small the small parts company that was selling small parts to household and consumer product OEMs. Yeah. 
at the time for a major maker of garage door openers before the revenue crash, we made 17,000 garage door openers a day. Hmm. When the re- in the middle of the recession hit, we were at 10,000 garage door openers a day. So yeah. to your point earlier, you don't always get to grow. Sometimes yeah. the market tells you what you're doing. So we exactly. were we, we had to endure a 45% drop in units yeah. for which my sales, marketing, operations, purchasing teams did absolutely nothing wrong. Yep. We were we never had a rejection. We never yeah. missed a sh- we never missed a ship date, but we went from, you know, let's call it for the sake of argument, 10 million to six and a half yep. million dollars in sales with that account overnight. And we had to make up for that. We had to figure out how we were going to deal with that. So to go back to your point about growth, it's not guaranteed. And there it's are not guaranteed. exigent circumstances that can happen to you yep. that have nothing to do with what your company does. It took five years to get all that business back. Some of it never comes back, right? You have to go get new yeah. accounts. You have to go find another industry to be in. You know, all of a sudden we're making parts for breaks. We've yep. been making windows and doors and, you know, stuff like that. And now we're making breaks. So um, you you start with your sales forecast. Yep. And the second thing you do is then you, once you know what your sales forecast is, you create your cost of goods. Yep. And your cost of goods in the services business is people, right? And your exactly. cost of goods in the electrical contracting business is material and labor and indirect labor. Or if you're making sheet metal, it's direct labor and a little bit of overhead. You got to figure all those things out. And that gives you the amount of money that you have to spend, right? And that's what operating expenses is, how much money you have to spend. So I used to make, so after I sold my company, I worked with some young guys who are building a fastener manufacturing company. And they thought that the the future was endless for them. They had they had found a sweet spot in the market. And when I joined them, they were doing $3 million in sales and not making a dime. I showed them some yeah. business techniques. We started to make money. We doubled the size of the company. We tripled the size of the company. Now the company is seven times bigger than when I first started working with them. But I remember saying to the VP of sales, if you can do this amount of sales, there's no way you can spend this much money on the operating yeah. side. Yeah. And yeah. that was the eye opener to them. Right is size. Boy, this is bad. Size matters, right? Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> yeah, love these stories. To be honest, I mean they are super insightful, and obviously we can learn a lot from these stories as well, right? Um, so the next layer that I'm going to bring in is going to be obviously from the CFO's perspective, and we are always working with the CFOs. And you know, buddy, I mean you have been in this space for a very long time. You have people who are sort of starting in their career and they don't really understand, you know, what they are getting into and what kind of mistakes that they are making. And we have all made mistakes, you know, 20 years back, I guess, right? So one of the challenges that we all get, you know, when I'm talking to some newer CFOs and, you know, for them, I'll, I'll give you one instance of, uh, you know, we were sort of calling these um, customers. And at that time, I think I was selling SAP. Um, so, you know, we were sort of talking to the CFOs and, Obviously, these guys had really bad experiences with SAP for whatever reason. You know, there could be million <laughs> variables, right? I don't, I don't know. I've heard that, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, so obviously, you know, and, and you talk about this that you know, anytime you are going to be implementing an ERP, then you are looking for this whole three-year hell, which is very, very, very hard to forecast. And especially when you are living in market conditions such as today or the one that you mentioned, right? It gets really tricky to number one, you know, forecast your sales then obviously you have to manage everything else. And then finally you 
through another curveball called ERP implementation. <laughs> and then uh, good luck in managing your financials. <laughs> it's good. It's going to be really hard, right? So the, CF, the CFO, the story is that, you know, when I was talking to him and he's like, okay, SAP, you're trying to send me SAP. I never want SAP in my life. You know, I am super happy with QuickBooks. Okay. So now there's not much of a comparison to be okay, because QuickBooks says is a wild, wild west. Um, you know, you don't really have the same capabilities that you're going to get uh, with the ERP, especially when you talk about manufacturing centric or um, you are probably require far tighter financial control because you are going to have 15 different systems. Good luck in managing. I don't know how you are going to do that. So let's say if you were to sort of give any sort of advice to these CFOs who are starting in their career and they don't necessarily understand the difference, different ERP systems or financial planning in my or the operational planning using systems. What advice uh, would you have for that? So about 80% of the customers in my practice use either QuickBooks or Sage. Um, yep. And uh, QuickBooks is much larger than Sage from a from a from a, the amount of people that use it that I run into. Right. Yeah. What I tell people about QuickBooks is this is a perfectly acceptable way to do bookkeeping and small exactly. accounting businesses. And we can create a few reports for you, but it only does a very limited amount of stuff. So if you exactly. want to grow your business and you want to report on your business and you want to understand where the bodies are buried in your business, you need to do something more sophisticated than that. And sophistication means pain. It is yep. absolutely painful. Um, implementing an ERP system or an MRP system or even a more sophisticated financial modeling system um, all requires a lot of thought, a lot of work. Um, and it's different than, and it's a lot more detail than yep. what happens in a QuickBooks system. So for example, one of my clients right now is a sheet metal manufacturing company. They're growing very, very quickly. Uh, when I joined the company a year ago, they weren't doing regular inventories. They weren't allocating labor to cost of goods sold. They didn't have an overhead account. Um, yeah. So the first step is just to estimate, right? And check to see if you're doing it right. And so yep. we started counting our inventory every month. We started to say, here are the 100 employees that are in the manufacturing plant. Um, mm -hmm. Which ones are making what? Is this a direct guy or is an indirect guy? Does this guy yep. carry the material over to the machine or does he actually pull the lever on the machine? Just to start yeah. to get some ideas, because while we're going to keep using QuickBooks, we are yeah. trying to use QuickBooks in a way that gets people to understand what the process is going to be going forward. Because what happens is entrepreneurs get freaked out by how much work it is to implement every single transaction along the way. When something moves from the plasma table to the bending area, from the bending area to the building area, from the building area to the welding area, from the welding area to the QC area, to the shipping and receiving area, every single one of those transactions has to be recorded along the way in an ERP or an MRP environment. And that is not something that, you know, small to medium-sized companies are used to doing. Exactly, exactly. And I, I love those examples, to be honest. And I'm probably going to give you one more example. And probably you are going to find this funny as well, okay? And or maybe, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe you are going to have some sort of advice for them as well, okay? So this morning's story, and we get all sort of arguments, and, and you know this, and we have already discussed this, that, you know, ERP implementation, very, very, very long time to really calibrate, to optimize, to get the business results from ERP. It's not just 
as simple as just put your items, put your customer, and that's it. The job is going to be done, right? It doesn't work yeah. that way. So this morning, sorry, this guy is trying to win the deal. And obviously, a lot of ERP, you know, salespeople come to us. Because obviously, we know a lot about the base, right? So this guy is trying to win the deal. And he's like, okay, I have quoted my implementation fee of 55000 60000 you know, for an ERP. This is... They are probably doing the free, what, 200 projects. They are in more of the construction manufacturing space, I would say. And, you know, so they are not necessarily the manufacturer, but more of the project manufacturing is what they are. So 200-ish project, I would guess that they are probably 10, 15-ish million. Uh, that's probably going to be my guess, right? So these guys, I mean, are trying to get the taste of the ERP. They are shopping around. Obviously, there are many variety of ERP. Some are going to be simply the add-ons that are going to sit on top of QuickBooks, going to claim that, you know, we are ERP, but you know how this works. Um, they are never going to get the same <laughs> uh, results that they are going to get with the, the real integrated ERP. So this guy quoted and I'm like, okay, and I am actually trying to protect him because, you know, obviously he's not going to make any money. Even if you're running ERP business, why would he want to get into a project where you are going to be losing money? Your client is probably going to fail. What's the point of all of this? The client is saying, and, and you need to, you are probably going to laugh at this, okay? The client is saying the implementation fee is too much, okay? I am, I was hoping that we can implement this in $5,000. $5,000. Can you believe this? <laughs> People repeating that and hours, say insane. How many hours are we talking about? Okay. And there are some companies in the market, buddy. Okay. They are going to claim that they can implement in five, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. You tell me why is it so hard to implement an ERP? Why does it take forever? <laughs> what is required to implement an ERP? You tell me because probably I don't know enough. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I think you know just fine. Um, I would say I go back and look at this in the context of a conversation I had after I'd left my family company. My, my dad's partner came down to visit me at my house in Tucson. We were walking to the baseball. The spring training used to be down there and we're walking to spring training. And he goes, I've got a portfolio company. He was a private equity guy at the time. He goes, I got a portfolio company. They've got a bunch of excess inventory. Um, you know more about excess inventory than I do. Give me an idea how long this is going to take. And I said, Andy, you know exactly how long it's going to take. So you write that number down and it's going to take yeah. twice as, it's going to cost twice as much and take twice as long. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's the right way to so do it. <laughs> ERP is not a multiple of two. It's a multiple yep. of three or four or five. Yeah, and it's not that, you know, guys like Sam exist and they can help you, but most entrepreneurs, um, or even sophisticated small business people have never done this before. And so really? they they want it to be a certain way. And the truth is, is that it's way harder than they ever expected. So whether the multiple is three times or four times, it's going to cost more than you think it is, no matter what number you put down on a piece of paper. And it's going to yeah. take longer and you're going to have unanticipated problems that you, no matter how hard you try to anticipate them, you will not catch them. Yeah, and honestly speaking, buddy, and you can tell me if I'm off here, to be honest, okay, the challenge that I have with this argument is when I look at these entrepreneurs is who are you hurting? You are only hurting yourself. Why not believing in the reality? So let's say even if I get in a deal and I'm going to say, you know what? Okay, it is going to take $10,000, $30,000. I have nothing to do. Okay, <laughs> because what I will, you know, typically most of the services companies, the way they work is, you know, they are probably going to be charging on an hour and they are going to be doing low balling. But who is going to get hurt in this? 
it's going to be you who is trying to estimate that this is probably going to be $5,000. You know, when you are building any sort of financial model, anybody, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you can uh, tell me how uh, maybe most of the season CFOs, I guess, the way they are going to plan, my perspective would be that they are going to be ultra conservative. Okay, if you say that this is going to cost a million dollars, they are probably going to put 5x on top of that, the way you describe. <laughs> you know, the more, because you are always, always going to get surprises in the financial model. Nobody can protect you, even if you have planned everything, the way you were telling in the other story, that I had everything figured out, but I, you know, I had to still pay the price. And that's how the world works, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, any there, sort of <laughs> well, there's no benefit to anybody underestimating what it's gonna what it's gonna take, both manpower wise, money wise, yep. process change orientation, um, any of that stuff. The problem is that if you are the CEO or the entrepreneur of a very successful small company that needs to grow up. Right. Needs to go yeah. from adolescent to teenager or teenager to young adult or whatever that whatever whatever growth period that they're in. They've had a modest amount of success by that time and thinks think that they are right and you are wrong. And so yeah. even though, you know, Sam may have implemented 50 or 100 ERP systems and maybe three cutovers went great and 279 of them went terrible or yeah. some version of not very good. Um, yeah. They think that theirs is different. And so um, I edited a book for one of my clients and I realized that the most, and it was about change management, and yeah. that the most amount of change that a company can go through is to implement an ERP system because it exactly. requires not only starting from scratch and every single thing that you do, but if you mechanize a crappy process, all you're going <laughs> to have is a mechanized crappy process. And there are exactly. Could not agree more. so many consultants like you, Sam, or others, and I'm not, you know, there's yeah. hundreds of them and there, yeah. some of them are very, very good, but they have seen everything and they have yeah. seen it go good and they've seen it go not so good. And yeah. if you try to modify um, software to match your bad process, that's all you're going to get is a bad process. So exactly. the, the challenge is to make the entrepreneur or the CEO understand that the company has to change, not them. Exactly, exactly. So, okay, so let's go back to a little bit of, of you know, from the CFO perspective. So let's say if I'm the CFO, uh -huh. obviously, I don't want to think that this is going to take three. Okay, <laughs> not in this life, uh, <laughs> you know, because that's a, the, a lot of financial when you are taking, unless you have like, you know, $10 million sitting in your backyard, then probably you can take that. But if you talk about, 10, 20 million dollar business, you know, it's very hard for them in general. And I can relate with them to be. I mean, if we had to take this project for our own business, <laughs> you know, I'll be panicking. I'm, I'm going to be completely. Okay. Right. So let's say if you were to sort of advise any sort of clients, when is going to be the point when they should be thinking about taking that, this risk? How much cash flow should they be keeping? Not only for this. Uh, you know, variable that you have. I mean, this is probably going to be the biggest variable that you are going to have on your, uh, you know, uh, balance sheet, but then you are planning for your business as well. So obviously you need to plan this along the whole financial model that you're building, let's say for next five years. So at what point uh, should they be thinking? And if you have any sort of insight into different inflection point, at what point they should be growing to the next ERP um, you know, whether it is going to be good, let's say, if you're $20 million, and I see a lot of mistakes that $20 million, let's go to SAP, because I know that tomorrow I'm going to be 
$200 million. <laughs> Next year I meet and they are now $15 million and they installed. Now they are asking us, okay, how can we downgrade? Because now I cannot afford to pay SAP <laughs> this much. So I don't know. I mean, there are many layers there in that. <laughs> There's a lot of layers there. So one of the best parts about what I do is that all businesses are the same when you look at yeah. them on a piece of paper. And exactly. so I can analyze a business very quickly by looking at a balance sheet or an income statement and a little bit of history. Um, yeah. But that doesn't tell you about the nuance of the business. So there's pr- probably, to answer your question in the probably most evasive way possible, there's no one size fits all. Yep. However, however, every business has some, has knows when they don't have enough information to, to make their business grow. So if a yep. business stops growing, if a business stops being profitable, if a business um, doesn't have the capital that it needs to grow to the next yeah. level, if a company misses their bank confidence on a regular basis, those are all warning signs that something in your company is wrong. And yep, so when you need more information than you have, then that's a perfect time to, to think about an ERP system. Um, when your financial, when, when the financial reporting aspect of an ERP system doesn't provide you or of the system that you have doesn't provide you with enough detail and you're spending all of your money on Excel jockeys rather than yeah. on your business so that you can understand what's going on in your business, then it's time for a new system. So like, there's no one size fits all, but there is commonalities that if you are failing in any way, then it's time to change to something else. Okay, so I'm actually going to build on that argument a little bit. And I have some interesting stories, uh, you know, from that as well. And, you know, I am trying to find my own answers at times, you know, how can these businesses be so off uh, in their estimation? So when you talk about knowing the information, if you are going to ask any business, they are all going to claim that, you know, I know so much about, okay, but we all know that you don't know enough. Nobody knows. If you knew, then you know, you would not have any sort of challenges in your business. And every single business that I know has some sort of challenges, right? And typically, I like to um, call this as more of the operational reconciliation. And I think you referred that in your, especially when you are talking about inventory-centric business. If you are simply doing the bookkeeping reporting, then you sort of don't understand what is happening in the business. We see scenarios mm-hmm. where, you know, the way your accounting is done, it's completely off from what is happening on the floor. Okay, uh, they have clubbed all of your operations together. You are not really scheduling in, as part of your ERP. Um, you know, your materials are sort of there, but not there. You know, so you don't really have insight into the real business. Sure, macro perspective, when you look at the balance sheet income statement, it's all going to be good. Okay, CFOs yeah. are going to be happy. My ratios are looking good. But here is the scenario. Okay, so I was talking to one guy and he's like, I had no idea when I was selling the business. I had no idea that I had this 100,000 worth of it in my warehouse. And I'm like, how does that work? Because if you have that in your warehouse, that has to be on financial statements. <laughs> okay, how can you miss that? Okay, you are selling a business. You don't have that 100 of inventory. So they are like, you know what? We account for the inventory, but we don't have that inventory in the option process. So we sort of have the inventory, but we don't have the inventory. So, I mean, this is the kind of insight that these businesses don't have, even though they are going to claim that, you know what, I know so much about the business. So I don't know, are you going to have any sort of commentary there from your experience? Yeah. So every entrepreneur that I've had the pleasure of working with had some gut feel or some formula that they used to to understand their business because they wouldn't have gotten to the point that they've gotten to without having something like that. 
So whether it is the cost of material times three equals yep. the selling price or um, labor is always 17% of what you're going to sell it for. So figure out how many people it's going to take to make it divide by 0.17 and that's your selling price. Yep. Every entrepreneur has that. And those yep. things I have tried and tried and tried to break those. And usually yep. a successful entrepreneur has a good system and it works for them. The yep. problem is it's not scalable. Exactly. So when you, so at, and, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's always going to break at some point in time. Yep. So exactly. um, at our family business that grew so fast, at some point in time with five plants in the U.S. and one plant in Mexico and one plant in Canada, one person couldn't keep everything that was going on in their head. And so exactly. you, it, it went from, oh, my goodness, to we have to have a system, right? Exactly. And, the, and, the, exactly. and the person who had that great idea is talking to you right now. Because I didn't know anything about MRP at the time. I just knew that what we were doing wasn't going to work long term. Exactly. That was my gut. And so even though um, our senior VP of manufacturing said to me one time, well, what you're going to do is just put a whole bunch of computer jockeys in front of screens and they're not going to know how to make a paper roll. I said, that's where we're going. It doesn't. You're, you're right. They are not <laughs> going to know how to make a paper roll the way you and I do. I can still yeah. make a paper roll better than anybody else in the world. That's just because I did it for 40 years in my life. Yeah. But from yeah. the perspective of scalability, you have to have a system. Exactly. And by the way, I mean, see, it's not just the system, I guess. And my, when I look at my manufacturing friends, to be honest, they're amazing. There's no question about that. Obviously, they build these businesses, so they are phenomenal in general. But at the same time, they don't probably have the formal education supply chain in the accounting. And I think that's where the real gap is. And this is a real education. You need to have education to be able to make these decisions to formalize your process. Uh, this is not just, you know, some sort of beliefs or opinions. There is science behind this, right, in terms of how to do that. So unless you have that formal education, whether you are working with a qualified, you know, CFO or somebody who has sort of been there, then only you are going to be making decisions. And typically, when I look at the manufacturing organizations, 20, 25 people, 30 people company, you know, half of them are probably not going to have any education. You know, the people who are going to be in the office, you know, they sort of figured their way out, but they don't really have this sort of approach to scale the business. Do you see similar in your space when you work with your clients or is your experience different? Well, it goes back to the to the concept that we have really, really smart people who have made something work for themselves in this yep. period of time, right? But at the same time, they they don't know how to get to the next place by themselves. So even though at family business that I worked at, I knew we needed something, I also needed Sam to help me get there because I had never done it before. And I was surprised every single day. And honestly, I've kept all the five ring binder, you know, the five inch five, three ring binders with all the yeah. processes in them because yeah. it was all new to me. And so yeah. what I would say to entrepreneurs is, or, or, or small company CEOs or hired guns, whatever, do not be afraid to ask for help because yeah. even getting an MBA or being a, a, having a master's in electrical or civil or mechanical engineering yeah. or industrial engineering, None of those things is going to help you put in an ERP system. It is a very complicated process. It crosses every single discipline in the company. The fortunate and unfortunate part for the CFO is if you built a Venn diagram around yeah. implementing an ERP system, the 
ERP implementation guy and the CFO are the only people that are in every single bubble. Yep. There isn't one thing in doing an ERP system that doesn't involve the CFO. Exactly. Exactly. I could not agree more. Yeah. Great. Uh, great illustration there. So uh, I don't know if you're going to have any other story that you would like to share overall from the ERP implementation perspective. I know that you want to share the Mapix one, I guess. And there is the Odoo Rescue one. Do you want to touch on them briefly? Yeah. So let's let's talk about the Odoo Rescue, which is really okay. interesting um, because you mentioned this earlier in the in the conversation. So yep. Uh, this is the faster manufacturing company that I talked about. And, yep. um, they literally, you know, started with one machine in a garage. Then they bought yep. some more junk. Then they bought a few more pieces and they went through all of the different job shop kind of e- systems. And, you know, I'm sure they're on your list of 500. Um, but I couldn't even name them because they all stink. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they, yeah. they do the job. They just don't do yep. the whole job. Right. And they're homegrown exactly. and it's, a family down the street who's doing it. That's all fine. It, 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 it serves its purpose for every growing company. But then they got entranced by the fact that Odoo was what they call open source, right? Exactly. So it looks free. <laughs> so everybody likes exactly. free, right? Yep. And then yep. so it's free. The licenses are a little bit more, but it's free. And then, you know, they get an implementation consultant who says, I can do it for $5,000. And, you know, he does a $5,000 implementation. So exactly. then they have Odoo <laughs> that they have implemented, but they have a $5,000 implementation, which means it doesn't work. Maybe they can build some financials. <laughs> maybe they can, you know, do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They can maybe put, yeah. a, you know, do a purchase order or something, but it's not rolling into the inventory and it's not rolling out onto the shop floor. And so when I came in as their, as their fractional CFO, um, my work partner and I at the time said, well, let's make some phone calls. We found a gold star Odoo implementation consultant and said, yep. we're going to fire the $5,000 guy. We're going to hire this guy. We're going to do a three-day workshop. We're going to bring them yep. in. And they did a wonderful job in their workshop. Yep. At the end of the day, though, the CEO and the owner, the CEO slash owner was so disgusted with Odoo as it was that it didn't matter whether it had all the right stuff or not. Right. Kill, get rid of Odoo, bring in something yep. else. Yeah. And so... Even if it's the right thing, if somebody has the wrong feeling about it, it's exactly. not going to work. Exactly. And so at that time, my friend, not my now friend, no longer client, but now friend Robert said, it doesn't really matter whether Odoo's right. It's going to be so hard to change the way people feel about it that exactly. you have to find something else. And so rescue ones, I've seen on both sides. I've, I've been involved in a rescue that worked and I've been in a rescue where we went the other way. So the cannabis factory in Los Angeles, that we yep. were brought in to do an Odoo rescue, and we were doing implementations across divisions within two months because yep. some of the guys just they just didn't know how to do it. So treat them, exactly. teach them how to do it, and all of a sudden it works just fine. Hey, this is this is great. Thanks. How'd you do that? <laughs> right. And so <laughs> exactly. those things are those things happen, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But we're going back to the Mapix example. Which we, yeah. which those of us who have some experience can have. We picked Mapix XP with the help of EDS for this business that had five locations in the U.S., one in Canada, one in Mexico. We got the yeah. right kind of help. We 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 hired a project leader. We hired project managers within the company. Each plant had their own person on the team. We had team meetings, etc. We did the implementation. Um, sort of as well as we could. We pushed off the implementation a year while we got our act together. 
you know, it wasn't, of course, the same plan. It cost twice as much, took twice as long. We implemented it exactly the way we were supposed to. Guess what? In 1990, MRP systems didn't actually work. Exactly. They had all the thought behind them, but all the apps inside didn't connect, right? So if you had um, purchases payable, that didn't work. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, what are, they call it PO payables. What else do they call it? Um, you know, where you bring the inventory in and it, and you don't have the invoice yet, um, and it has to go into inventory, but you don't have the invoice. You can't put an AP. It has it had those kind of bumps in the road. Um, the financials yeah. didn't roll up exactly the way they did. Excel wasn't as sophisticated yeah. then as it was now, so you couldn't do a SQL query to pull out the information that you needed. So much more manual than you ever expected. Today, when we look at, you know, the universe of NetSuite or SAP or whatever, here's what you can be counted on. Excuse me. I was going to say something really bad. The stuff works. So it's always now an implementation issue, not a software issue. Exactly. Exactly. The software works. It connects. It creates the reports. You can go, you can use Excel to go get data in your SQL database. And if you're not on SQL, you're on something else. And we can figure out how to get that for you. But that's the, that, that's the sort of like the, that's where the white hair comes from is went back when it didn't work. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. This is so much fun. I can go for like, you know, the whole day talking to you and I can still learn something. Buddy, thank you so much. I think that's it today. You're Do welcome. you have any last minute closing advice for our listeners? I would say, and I'm not saying this because you're having me as my guest, every CFO, every CEO, anybody who's listening to this, get some professional help. This is not Mm -hmm. something you can do on your own. And if you think you can, you can't. I'm sorry. It's just the kind of this, it's what 40 years of doing it helps you get to. So that would be get professional help, please. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, buddy, for your time and insight today. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be that it takes a long time to understand and figure out these trends once you have seen enough. So don't make the same mistakes that other people have already made. Uh, at least listen to them, what they are talking about. You might feel that there are some shiny objects and there are easier ways of doing No, ERP implementations are never going to change, even if we are going to be talking about this in the next 100 years. That's my prediction. On that note, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Good to see you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Buddy or his work or need help with your small to medium-sized business, feel free to email him on bblatner at glsbonline.com. It's b-b-l-a-t-t-n-e-r at glsonline.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Brian Goffenberg from Vital Hub, who discusses the difference between accounting for a public and private company. Also, the interview with Jim Downs, who shares his insights into the importance of tracking meaningful financial KPIs to improve profitability and growth for CPG companies. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally 
and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.